Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analyst consultants or practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works and maybe, (laughs) most importantly, what doesn't. That's right, Scott. And our focus is on you, the sales enablement orchestrator. As you know, as leaders in your business, you need to develop specific characteristics that we've been calling orchestration. We want you to understand what it means to help clarify the measures of success. We want to give you examples of what orchestration looks like as you you operate in the gap between strategy and execution to do both at the same time. And we want to give you confidence to engage up and down and across your organization. To help with that and uh, breathe life into this concept of orchestration, we actually have two guests with us today, and they've been on the show before, but they're also helping and they're very passionately involved in, in clarifying the role of sales enablement as an orchestrating role and what it means to be an orchestrator. So we've got Imogen McCourt and Doug Clower joining us today. Hey guys, how you doing? Can you introduce yourself? Certainly, uh, Brian and Scott, thanks for having us on again. Uh, I guess we didn't do too bad a job last time, so we, we get to come back and do a little bit more. Anyway, my name's Doug Clower. I'm a uh, I'm a global enablement director, and, uh, and I'm an orchestrator, too. I guess that's the best way to describe it. I'm passionate about this. It makes so much sense, and it does give so much value to um, uh, the companies that we work with. So thanks. Yeah, and I'm Imogen McCourt, and it's lovely to be back uh, spending some more time with you chaps. I co-founded an organization called angrow.io, and we focus on helping companies with the business of sales, helping the senior executive team understand exactly how they should be orchestrating things like that. Uh, so I'm really delighted to be part of this today and also the other work that we're doing as a side. That's awesome. Yes, very excited to have you guys on, and thank you so much for the time that you continue to invest in uh, sales enablement and, and uh, sharing with our listeners. And what we had is a bit of a shared experience this week, all, all four of us, so me, uh, Doug, Imogen, and also Scott. He did a webinar this week, and he did the webinar on uh, the concept of routes to value. And this was a great discussion. You can find out more about it. If you go to commercialratio.com, you can get the recordings. And I definitely encourage uh, everybody in Insider Nation to uh, listen to that recording. It was a really important concept about linking your, your company's capabilities to your customers' challenges and outcomes and the role of, of salespeople and, and the selling ecosystem in, in closing that gap in a route to value. This particular podcast, what I wanted to do is really slow down and, and talk about the concept of orchestrating what seems to be a simple concept of, of helping salespeople uh, connect the dots and, and sell to customers. And I wanted to ask you, Imogen, you know, how did the webinar relate to you and what takeaways did you have from it? Well, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic, the whole series has been really powerful to, to listen and learn and be part of. And, 
and the webinar yesterday, I'm going to have to pronounce it root to value. I'm sorry. It, when you listen to the webinar, you'll know there's this English to English translation thing. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm protecting the global, global audience here. That's perfectly <laughs> fine. We can <laughs> with that. But uh, yeah, it was really interesting. I, you know, there's, there's such complexity in keeping focused on the strategic work that we need to do as orchestrators, but also understanding some of the practical and, and tactical things too. And um, so much of it resonated, but there's one slide, which was a panoramic view of a workshop, very uh, lots going on, lots on the walls. And I'll be honest, it was like, it was like flashbacks to a workshop that Brian and Scott, you helped me design and, and run when I really just started as head of sales management at Forrester. So I don't know how much you guys remember about that, but we were trying just to simply think about the new go-to-market strategy that they were, they were pivoting around and how, what value that might mean to our clients. But actually, what we were trying to do and what we ended up doing was just trying to get a pick list of priorities for the self-enablement group for my small and immaculately formed team. And I'll be honest, it, it escalated out of all control. So we, we started with a pick list of heads of departments, heads of marketing, things like that, to try and do this, to try and get us all on the same page about how we work together. And then I think there was 30 plus people in the room and all hell broke loose. And we were just trying to get everybody to come together around the story of why we had decided to move to this and what value it brought to the marketplace. And it was everybody had an opinion, everybody had brought their agenda into the room. So, you know, seeing this workshop sort of slide put out in front of me with all of these incredibly important and valuable things to do, it just took me straight back there, right back to the beginning of running sales name and departments. And uh, yeah, I'll be interested what you thought of that session and, and whether you have any memories from it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to ask, um, you know, Scott, actually, to help our listeners out. Uh, I want to make sure that uh, our listeners, Scott, are, are aware a little bit around why a workshop and kind of what was happening in the workshop that that slide generated from the webinar. Um, because it, it's, a, it's a panoramic, as, as uh, Imogen said, and there's a lot of things that happen in the room. I was in the room and there was a lot of things like value map or stakeholders and, you know, here's a space to, to think out loud or you know, here's a different space to show some tools or progress. And, and there's a lot of things on the wall. And, but really, what was the purpose of the workshop, Scott, and wh why a workshop? And how does that relate to what Imogen was talking about with everybody coming together? Yeah, so let's distinguish a few things. So Imogen talked about routes to value. Uh, <laughs> And uh, her, her past experience with that. Um, and it took her back to a time, I don't know, maybe eight, 10 years ago at Forrester. 10, trying 12, to, yeah. yeah. Trying to get a whole bunch of people together. So one of the, one of the concepts that we had talked about earlier in this, uh, in this webinar was the concept of productitis. And I think what um, we didn't have that term 10 years ago Imogen, but mm -hmm. we were seeing absolute symptoms of productitis. Individual marketers who just didn't really care necessarily about the value proposition, but okay, so what leads do we know need to go generate for who? Individual, I, it's, it's tough to call them P&L groups, but uh, different uh, businesses like Forrester had, at the time had a leadership conference, council, product. Then there's the general research product. Then there's the consulting group. And 
all we were trying to do is say, what's the, what's the simple one value proposition that we give to each of these different customers? And to, to Image's point, everybody was showing up with their own agenda was, I, I, you know, if I'm in consulting, I really don't care what the research uh, value proposition is or the leadership council group proposition is. I care of making sure the consulting value proposition is delivered. And so w- what is this balance? Uh, what is our actual uh, business strategy? So the, the business strategy images was mentioning was a pivot to be role focused. Uh, so instead of having research around topics, uh, the research and the delivery mechanism was going to be around individual roles. So that's a tough pivot in upon itself as well. So it's a strategic pivot. So you have all of these different variables going on at the same time. So that was then. So kind of the way back machine 10 years ago. What, what Imogen was referring to is a slide uh, uh, which is part of the process. So at the end of our um, routes to value presentation, we talked about, hey, here are the problems. Then in the middle section, we talked about, let's illuminate what an outcome is from a customer's point of view. Now, the second part, then the third part then would be, what methodology do you follow to put it all into action? Because you can't just go, have one group go and build a playbook or another group build a value map and another group uh, do something else because nothing's going to tie it all together. So what we were doing is introducing a series of um, workshops or techniques that follow design thinking principles to get everybody together. So what, when, when Brian was saying he was in the room, Brian was in the room of the picture that was described or the panoramic view. Imogen says it way better than I do. And what we're trying to illuminate here is let's, let's plot out all of the different variables of why you people just, you know, get, go get people involved. So going back to the Imogen's point of view at the beginning, which was, hey, this is simple. All we were trying to do is simply get blah, 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 blah. Well, sales is simple, but simple is hard. And I think that's what we're, uh, what we're experiencing. We're experiencing in this story, real life examples of stratocution coming to life, real life examples of the need for orchestration. What happens when you don't have it? Things disintegrate into, into utter chaos that's unbelievably frustrating for everybody involved. Um, and what's the value moving forward? Because the situation that Forrester was trying to address is exactly the situation most companies are in today. Yeah, that's great. And you're mentioning, and this is highlighting you know, two, two phenomenon. I'd, I'd love, you know, Doug or Imogen, you to chime in on this, but one is this phenomenon of, Hey, you know what? Uh, I talked to you perhaps individually and uh, everybody's focused on customers and everybody wants to do the right thing. And uh, yet, however, when you get in a room, full of 30 other people, uh, what, what does that turn into and uh, what happens there? So there's this phenomenon of individually doing it versus doing it in a group that, uh, that can happen. And then the second piece is, Scott, you said very specifically, well, you can't have one person do a playbook and you can't have one person maybe building a message. And then, you know, I would add, you can't have one person, you know, aligning it in the, in the platform or of enablement platform or whatever. But yeah, that's that's what that's what people do. Uh, so of course, of course, they can do that. But you you added the qualifier of, or else it won't be integrated, and it won't be integrated uh, for sales. So those two phenomena, this idea of what happens individually versus a group, and then the other phenomenon of how the work gets done, where 
you parse it up out and you get it done. You check it off versus integrating it from the, for sales or the lifeblood of sales. What do you guys think of that? That's what strikes my mind is what's, what the challenges of orchestration are in a picture like this. Uh, Doug or Imogen, do you have any thoughts on that? I think what is so uh, illustrative of that particular image or that picture, that, that panorama uh, that's in there, is really about all the different elements or people that have a role or some sort of uh, outcome that they're chasing. And in most cases, everybody says, I have the customer in mind, but a lot of times they come with their own conceived agenda. It's like the customer needs this feature or the customer wants this executable or this guarantee or they want this price or whatever it happens to be. And the idea is you have to collectively bring those together and bring them into alignment. That's one of the bigger challenges. I think augmentation to this particular picture that, that we're referring to for me was the outcomes slide, the one where it's the, it's the building and there's like six different outcomes. And those outcomes, you have to understand what level you're talking to. So the idea of orchestration, it's hard because you got to get everybody to begin to understand what are we targeting? What is it we're looking for? What is the customer expect? What's the outcome we're trying to get to? Which I think was at the heart of, of the webcast. It was this beautiful discussion, it goes back to that, uh, that one diagram, Scott, that you put together where outcome was in the middle and these six elements were around the outside. That was the power of that. And that's where the, the challenge is. And, and at least that's the way it resonated for me. That's, that's one of the challenges I've, I've dealt with on a number of occasions. And I, if I may, I'm going to add to that because, Doug, I think you're absolutely right to bring it to the outcome piece as well. You know, we, we, the last time we did our podcast, actually, we talked about how important the conversation, the actual conversation between a salesperson and a client is. And that value is added when you can discuss what great outcomes you can work with them, what they, what they can change towards and, and why. But for me, I also think there's this piece about orchestration, which is there are so many moving parts. You know, there are so many people who passionately care about do we understand who the wallet owner is or where the budget holders are? And that will help our sales organization. And, and then that's suddenly internal again. That's suddenly about the company structure or how um, we, company A, sell to them. But what's really hard is actually taking this, this idea of an outcome that we could deliver and turning that into something that we can actually add value with and not complicate our clients' lives. You know, the, the Forrester workshop, everybody came in really, really believing that they had and, and having uh, the client's best interests in heart, but not fully understanding how you turn that, translate that into something that can be sold, that is empathetic, that drives and delivers value, that can be uh, understood in the marketplace. And I think that's the really smart bit about orchestration here is simplifying enough without dumbing down and providing enough of the environment and the facilitation to make people look at each other and see how they can come collectively together to drive more value, not look at each other and think, well, they're just going to take sales resource that I really should have because my product's really powerful for our clients or, but now marketing are going to focus on something else and I want them to focus on something else. And I think the orchestrator has to be both the incredibly strong leader as Scott, you've said over and over again, but also this really powerful quiet person who's sort of sitting behind the scenes making sure that everybody understands and the the bigger picture the whole the, the outcome that Doug's talking about which is always client side it's always client side the outcome 
Yeah, these are great. And I mean, you're, you're outlining Imogen and Doug, this concept of many moving parts. And I think everybody would agree with that. So for example, if you have a room full of 30 people representing product and marketing and sales enablement and sales and maybe the commercial officer, they're all in the room, they're probably going to say, you know what, there is a lot of moving parts here. There is a lot of uh, individual perspective that we need to bring in. Um, you know, everybody has a point of view on what's worked before, perhaps. Or, um, you know what, uh, we all should have the same, uh, and we probably all do have a definition of value. Is it the same? I don't know, but we probably all think we know what's valuable. And um, we probably all believe that we should be working together to figure this, figure this out. That's why we're in the meeting. So this idea of, you know, we, we're going to be in, a, in an environment uh, and an environment's going to be created for us to, to work together. And then, yeah, somebody's probably going to lead this and I'm going to participate. Uh, these, are, these are knowable things. And yet something happens uh, in the room uh, that might get in the way. And, you know, what is that? And then, you know, to, to your point, Imogen, this idea of how do you lead through that? Lead a group of people who are all smart that really do want to do the right thing. However, might not necessarily see the, the bigger, um, I don't know, synthesis of the bigger components or the, or the large components that need to come together in a customer conversation, right? Well, in a case, in a case like that, don't, doesn't that individual or that group, that department, that silo, whatever you want to call them, don't they sort of have their blinders on? They can't see the bigger picture. They're still focused on the, on the customer, but they're not necessarily seeing, well, they're focused on the customer too. So how can I work with them to deliver a more powerful outcome for the customer from us as the company? That's, that's one of the key things. It's, it's a blinder syndrome. And, and I've seen that before. Imogen, you've seen that, that analogy. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, the harder it gets, the more entrenched people get, the more they focus on what they know they're good at or what they know they're particularly gold at, rather than having the opportunity to raise their heads and go, okay, wait, the, you know, my marketing department is about driving brand awareness and ultimately creating profitable growth for our organization because the sellers aren't cold calling, they're warm calling, where everybody knows who we are, etc. I'm being very um, whitewashing uh, what all of the amazing things that marketing can do. And the sales enablement team is almost there to say, yes, but chunk up, right? Let's think about it in a coaching manner. Let's, well, let's show you a better way. Because if I tell you a better way, it's going to look really hard and you're just going to put your heads back down and get on with delivering what you're doing and creating the content you're doing. But if we can show you there's a better way to do this, can we then all agree on something and buy into that? And they're really hard things to do when you have 30, 40, 50 loud, bright, brilliant voices, all with teams, all with corporate level goals to deliver on, to say, wait, step back a moment, because client success and client outcomes is how all of us are going to achieve what we're trying to do for this company. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's really tough. And it's, it's hard. Yeah. It uh, let me, get, let me take a, a step back here and, uh, put some structure for our audience. So one of the things that we're, we're referring a lot to, so Doug referred to a outcome chart. Uh, please feel free. We're, we're going to have it on the inside sales, inside SE website. You can download the whole, uh, you know, the deck and the, um, and the presentation. But w let's just talk about, let, let's take a step back. And, and something that we all can relate to would be image and story that she mentioned at the beginning. Let's look at a, let's look at complexity and confront complexity because frankly that's what we're addressing. And 
our brains are designed to where we don't want to confront complexity. And complexity really only has two pieces of it, right? Two big buckets. There's the number of moving parts and then the connections of those moving parts. And the first thing that you need to be able to do is to organize all of the moving parts so people can see what we're asking our salespeople and our customers to absorb. Because if you don't do that, people are going to show up and think, hey, I'm only producing five documents. I'm only asking salespeople to do five documents or ask five questions off of my five documents. How can this be so hard? Are they that stupid that they can't take five documents? But what they don't see is that there are many people all producing five documents. And some of the people in the room are incented every quarter by how many documents they create. So just in the number of parts, there's an exponential factor that involves with each person in the room, they're contributing more of the parts. The other thing that we're not factoring in too is how many people our salespeople are engaging with either, which is another part. So these are taking inventory of all the parts and helping everybody to recognize that. Then you can actually get people to empathize with the number of permutations of all this different stuff. You're talking about just managing information in the billions of piece parts, which is impossible for any human to digest. Then the second thing that you have to worry about are the connections. And this is why I like the word conversation or the, the design point of conversation. It's piggybacking on something Imogen said before. At a individual moment in time, what's your best path uh, of connecting the dots with an executive? Is it through a conversation with a lot of re- relatability or a very prescriptive prescribed sales playbook? What do you think, is gonna, what do you think the reality is going to be in real life? It's going to be a conversation. So not only do we have to distill all this information, but we have to make sure that our salespeople have the right techniques and the confidence to engage with those executives to make it relatable. Because they're going to relate to pictures. Some are going to relate to numbers. Some are going to relate to just stories because they're human beings and human beings respond to information differently. There is not one silver bullet and that's the power of conversation and we all know how to have them. We just tend to think what we have to do is stuff more stuff down salespeople's throats. And I think that these are the, these are the variables that I think we as, as, as sales enablement leaders need to do a better job of communicating to our executives how difficult it is to drive execution. What do you guys, Doug, what are your thoughts or reactions to that? I try to summarize oh, the piece parts. I think, I think you're spot on. I think, and I've had a lot of conversations with uh, different people about uh, what you just referred to, the seller burden is, you know, I've got one group that says, yeah, I've just got these five documents. So, well, that might be marketing. And then you've got the, uh, the pre-sales consultative side of things where they say, I've got this stuff. And before you know it, there's 60 things that they have to look through to figure out how to distill this. But how is that organized? First of all, are, are all 60 necessary? And second of all, how do, how do I organize them to have a conversation with the director of IT versus the chief financial officer or whatever it happens to be. And so the idea of how do we lighten that burden is really important. I thought one of the quotes you had was really spot on. It said, wow, we've spent, I was a CA coach, we've spent all this money. Uh, uh, we spend more on training uh, and, and learning and stuff. And that's not, that's just on training and learning, not out of the office. I, I went through the same exercise at one point with uh, an organization 
and looked at the burden of time a seller had to do organizational type of things, including uh, learning and development, if you want to call it that. And, and it seemed like 16 hours of a week they were spent doing things that were not selling related. They were, they were reporting related or compliance related, but not selling related. And we have to be careful of that too. So being very, very discriminant about the kind of material and what it should look like given the conversation or the, the outcome we're trying to accomplish is really important and powerful. That was, that was a really good part of the uh, webcast the other day as well. And if I may, I think what's been fascinating for me is that not only is there this absolutely true burden of sales, you know, how do I wade through two and a half thousand documents for 170 products to decide what's appropriate? It's also, you know, where is my actual client in their buying cycle? So what do they need from me? And also, where are they in the organization? Because as we said, as you guys said in the webinar, but it's, you know, it's, I hope more commonly understood there's a buying committee now and they're not all executives a lot of them are but there are influencers and there are people who are going to have to uh, live with this product or service or whatever it is that are part of saying yeah this is going to work or not right we can make this work or we can try and make it as awkward as possible so these salespeople are navigating uh, away from products to solutions and, and best case outcomes and they're also saying okay so today it's the c-suite so i need to be talking about ebitda and market share and share price tomorrow it's a VP head of department. So I need to be talking about, you know, measurable revenue outcomes or margins. And, you know, the next day I'm talking to the user team. So they'll need to know actually feature function and how many they're going to get and how often they're going to get it. That's, that's huge. All the while you have to manage the energy of everybody because right. the change resistance is massive. Every group wants the environment to be different, but each individual group doesn't want to change. They basically say, <laughs> If, if everybody were else to do what we do, the entire company would be better. And you can just sort of imagine each different department going, screw you, what about, uh, why don't you just adopt what we do? Instead of compromising and giving some ground and coming up with something new, that's not inherent of how we're set up and, and what happens, but ultimately that's what's required in order to, uh, in order to create uh, a new approach that, uh, you know, that can work. So I and however, that, sorry. Ahead. Well, however agile your organization is, and we all like to think that we've got fantastically agile organizations nowadays, you're still selling change. Change is hard and there will be disruption along that way. So right. this outcome that you're selling and, and building the vision of and everybody's buying into, there are still people from the executive suite all the way down to, you know, the IT bods who are making this happen, who are like, God, this is going to be painful. And really, do I have to let go of all of that? And the answer is yes, because a clever sales team in this case, almost certainly has worked with a clever buying team to create the true future vision of something better, something more valuable. And that goes all the way back to how on earth you orchestrate that vision of value and all the stakeholders and all the impact statements and all of those tactical clever pieces as well without overwhelming anybody, let alone the people trying to do it. Yeah. yeah so one of the things that's really resonating here with me is um, in prior podcasts and one of the things that we try to keep uh, highlighting on inside salesenablement.com with, with Insider Nation <laughs> is this idea of how do we focus on uncovering your unconscious competence. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found really fascinating the last time we had Doug and Imogen on 
was Doug's background, his training as an architect. So a lot of the kinds of structures and processes about uh, designing and layout, you know, the organization, you know, what needs to be organized and, and the like, probably fit right into Doug's wheelhouse. We have to find a way to get Doug's expertise out. But what your respect, not but, because that negates that, what you're saying, Imogen, resonates with your background being anthropology, which, uh, as far as I understand, it's sort of the evolution of, uh, of people and sort of how humanity works. Yeah. And if we think about that, um, human beings have always had to change from, you know, being hunters and farmers to suddenly now we're uh, in cities growing corn. Um, that's a change <laughs> from being agrarian to industrial revolution. That's change. All the while, our brains are pretty much the same. You know, our brains haven't evolved in the last, you know, 2,000 years that much. Uh, but our society and our civilizations have evolved. And that, that core humanness and how things happen in a group are all things that I, I get. It just is just natural that you get, uh, you, know, you know, impassioned by that. And I think if we could start blending uh, and I'm sort of signaling here to me, Imogen, you're what needs to be managed. And, and Doug, how we structure that stuff. How do we take Imogen's chocolate of the what needs to be managed and Doug's peanut butter, uh, what needs to be organized? And how do we blend them together? Because that's orchestration. What, how do you guys react to that? I, I think that's really one of the important elements of being an orchestrator is understanding where the pieces of orchestration exist and blending them together. And, and to be quite honest, also developing your own um, competence in all of those areas. So where Imogen is strong, I learned from her about uh, ways of viewing things and seeing it. And maybe she learned some things from me. And therefore, both of us as orchestrators get stronger and better but it's recognizing that here's where our competence is, our unconscious competence, and then developing the other ones because we have to see the big picture and be able to work together and reach out and go, that person's really good at this. It's, it goes back to, I'm going to go back to mission control now and, and the initiation of the space race and everything. When these people started coming to John F. Kennedy and he said, you raise a good issue. There's a problem there. So I'm going to put you in charge of it. And somebody else comes in says, well, we've got a problem here. And said, well, it sounds like you've got a really good handle on that. I'm going to put you in charge of that. So the idea is the orchestrator in that case was JFK, and he was able to identify those people that had passion in that space, pull them together, and execute toward the mission to put somebody on the moon in 1969. So this is interesting, right? Because these are tactical and strategic issues that come together in this concept of orchestration, right? And, and to us, orchestration is, it's, it's one, it's real, and two, it's valuable and needed because it helps connect these dots, fill in these gaps, these gray areas. And having these kinds of conversations gets us to questions like, well, who determines what value is? Or who determines what good looks like? Or, you know, what's the best approach for salespeople? And, and really no one, no one person owns that answer. 
and the answer is found among and between people who have different perspectives. So that's, that's why, you know, I see a lot of focus. I believe that's why I see a lot of focus on things like collaboration and creativity and design thinking, et cetera. But the business value and the business impact of that is never talked about. It's just a given, you know, hey, you should get everybody together. Well, we're talking about in this podcast, <laughs> we get everybody together and then uh, to use Imogen's word, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, listen, I just want to respond to, to Doug's comments as well, because A, I do learn every time we get the chance to speak either almost publicly like this or, or privately in the other work that we're doing together. But actually, you know, the human being looks for stories and patterns and structure. And I think that what we're trying to do here is provide um, something for things to hang off so that it can be remembered and called upon and be pertinent in the moment with, for the salespeople. Because, you know, ultimately those ideas, it shouldn't be owned by one person. The orchestration is about we're all bigger than two plus two people five, you know, we're bigger than the individual moving parts. So, you know, I think that there's something really important about how we, support each other but also how we try and keep clarity about what it is we're working on what we can manage what's on the green uh, and how we can really push the envelope on this think about this idea as not ours but as something we can actually make better than it possibly is because we come together to think about it with everybody who'll be part of solving it or delivering it or, or right. providing it and if you think about it um, let me ask you know the anthropologist here um, you know are are people taught these things are we brought up in a way that brings 30 people together to work on something and understand the perspectives of people um, is, is uh, what people are taught. Um, are, are they equipped to have these kinds of, of uh, interactions and really experiences where the answer is found among people or, or is there something else going on that we're wrestling with here with how people are trained, certified, etc.? What do you think? Um, so I must just say that as, as I did do anthropology, but I also did archaeology. So to, to, to set myself up as, as a, you know, the trained and perfect anthropologist would be deeply unfair. But I would say that we are, we are tribal groups, right? Monkeys tend to come together as groups. And, you know, we work best when we are supporting each other and playing to our own strengths within that collective whole. Um, so we can talk about societal constructs and all sorts of things, but, uh, you know, I hope it's not um, a sad fallacy to truly believe that we don't uh, work as a pack, that we think about the greater good um, and that we want the best for ourselves, whether that's economically or whatever you're motivated by, right? Happiness, uh, intellectual stimulation, etc. We're moving way off topic here, but I think the point is that to orchestrate is very natural for those who are naturally orchestrators and we can talk about the competencies we can talk about the skills and the behaviors of, a, of an orchestrator but there are also incredibly valuable parts of this problem if you like which is the people who do who get stuff done who are tactical and detail orientated and make this happen in a way that really brings it to life you know there is no innovation without actually getting stuff done without the tactics too um, so I think there's many, many important roles in driving forward the sales enablement agenda, which in turn drives a profitable growth agenda. And I think the constructs and the processes and the patterns and the stories allow that to be repeatable and shared and uh, sustainable as well. Yeah, great points. So let me, 
ask you guys, right? So we've got this picture. We painted this picture, I believe. And, you know, in, in uh, for those that are following along, you know, it's a big panoramic picture. We've got things circled on the walls. We've got this idea coming in from the top that we have to organize specific uh, items such as, you know, who are the wallet owners? What's the value map? Uh, who are the stakeholders that salespeople need to, to navigate to? So these things need to be organized on behalf of our sellers that we're supporting. And then from a, an experience perspective, you know, to, to have the room work, coming in from the bottom are things like, how do people know they're making progress? Uh, who are the teams that are going to work on what and what types of tools do they need to, to make, um, to make an, a, an actionable impact? And then uh, what are some principles that people need to follow, uh, activities or exercises? Uh, what does it mean to be engaged, right? How do you create this environment where people can work together to uh, synthesize and, and uh, create something new together, right? So that's the picture that we've been talking about. And hopefully, hopefully you can see that in your mind's eye. And what I'd love to do is say, okay, look, you know, um, Doug, it looks like there's a lot of uh, design that goes into something like this. What do you suggest uh, orchestrators focus on perhaps uh, before a meeting like this? And then, you know, Imogen, maybe what, what do you think should happen in, what, what should it feel like? And what should, what should it, what should happen in a room like this? Mm-hmm. Let's look at before the, uh, the activity happens or the experience is created. And then after or during the, the, the and how do we facilitate that experience? What tips would you guys have? Well, right up front, I think what you have to do is you have to clearly understand what it is you're, you're chasing. Um, you have to set an objective and you have to prepare everybody um, uh, ahead of time that's invited to something like this as to what you're trying to accomplish and set that outcome. And you have to reiterate that a lot throughout the whole thing. But the next thing is you need to begin to break down, especially the, the way it's well illustrated on this particular uh, slide the key elements that everybody agrees are the right things to be focused on because in in different cases, it might be a little different, uh, but not substantially, but then you get a chance when you uh, initially uh, start uh, to say, is there something missing and and some uh, to that end. So, you know, if, if what you're trying to do is figure out how you're going to enter a new market space, you have to say, well, what does that market space look like and what do our customers have to do with that particular space? Why would they be interested in our entry into that? Or are, as Scott would say, are we just buying revenue for the company kind of thing? Uh, so there's a couple of different factors, you, you know, how do we enter into that particular space? Who, who would be the stakeholders we talk to? Who has a, uh, an element to play in this? Is it, is this all just a product player? Is this something consulting needs to do? Do we have partners that we need to work with? So it's really about articulating the key elements of what that outcome would look like, not what the elements are themselves. In other words, the description, but what is it we have to include in this and talk about that right at the very beginning. So that setup is important to get the right people there and to make sure that we have the right uh, uh, stakeholders, internal stakeholders, so that this kind of a meeting uh, is, uh, is productive and that we achieve what we're expecting to do on the, on the backside of this and we have something actionable to work toward. 
Um, and yeah, and so to pick up on that, I, I can't emphasize enough how right Doug is about this ahead of time. So I really feel like our point, our purpose as orchestrators or facilitators in this sort of workshop is to make sure people feel set up for success. They know why they're in the room. As Doug says, there's an understanding of the, the common purpose, what we're trying to achieve uh, as a group collectively and what that means for them. Um, very practically, practically, and we all know how to design great workshops, but you know, with the common purpose piece, I also think we need to set the scene for respectful listening. So everybody will have a voice, everybody will be heard, but let's listen without thinking about the next step that we're going for. Um, people need to understand why they are there, what we're expecting of them, their, their, their role and them personally. Um, and I also, in my experience, if this is a big, if it's going to do some really good big thinking with a lot of outputs, so we talked about value maps and impact statements and stakeholder uh, maps and so on and so on, there's a lot of outputs there. Sometimes it's really helpful to have uh, an understanding about who's going to run with this. So people will sometimes feel very passionate with something that they've come up with and they want to own it. That's fantastic. But they should have somebody from sales enablement to work with them to make sure it doesn't splinter off into one way or another way. But I also think it's very helpful to have some people there who up front say, we're going to come up with some great things. This is the team of people who are going to go ahead and continue to work on that. So we're going to push that further. And if you want to volunteer to be part of that, brilliant. If you don't, because we're all super busy, that's fine too, because these people will report back and keep it moving and you'll be called in because uh, we all want to be accountable and part of it as we move forward. So that's just some, some very practical things to back up what Doug was saying about get some common purpose, real understanding of what they're there and that ahead of time. Set them up with reading if you need to. Give them pre-work. Let them understand what they're doing. And, and I like to speak to people as well if we possibly can. And that I think, Doug, you're advocating that too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, you know, I think the... I'd like to touch on the one thing you talked about. It's the, the post meeting, uh, the post um, uh, outcome of a workshop like this is somebody who is in charge and sort of keeps the music going. <laughs> if we talk about a maestro or an orchestrator at this particular point, somebody who keeps the music going, because I, I cannot tell you how many times I've been in meetings with 10, 12, 15, 20 people, and we've got these great plans and this and that and everything else. But nobody walked away with, okay, you have responsibility for putting this on a drip schedule for checking in with everybody to make sure things are progressing to building some of the timelines or executing against the timeline we've already set. So it's, it's this nebulous, un, undefined uh, leadership. And, and that's where I think one of the things uh, Scott talks about a lot is you've got to have that strong leader somewhere. They don't have to be somebody who just, you know, whacks you in the back of the head with a two by four, but at the same time, there's somebody that keeps you moving forward or, or keeps you accountable because that's the most important thing. You have to be, uh, as an orchestrator, you have to be self-motivated. You, you have to be a self-starter and you just have to get through it. And one of the things with large teams like this is you'll end up seeing this dissolving fabric uh, over time and the further away from the meeting, the more dissolved the fabric becomes. I think I love, Doug, the accountability piece. It's about accountability and ownership. You know, they really feel ownership of what they've come up with and they want to keep it going. But we've also had, I know we've all experienced these situations where we've walked out incredibly passionate, definitely driven to start motivating or working with our team to start doing stuff. And then you get back to your desk and just go, oh God, okay, well, it's fine. I can do it on Monday. And then that becomes Tuesday. Whereas, you know, if there are people who are, 
genuinely there right from the beginning of the workshop to be um, uh, co-owners or even to be able to pick up and do some of the grunt work so that it does happen and it does manifest because you can't get that level of senior executive into a room and then get them, ask them to come back into the room again to do the same amount of work and thinking and challenging their own concepts if they don't see great outcomes from it and they, they can't, and if they can't see how it's going to change over time and improve how a company can hit its numbers, how salespeople and the clients can be successful together. Yeah, and one of these uh, things that's valuable about an experience like this, which I, I, I have seen accomplished virtual, by the way, too. So I know we're using a picture and it's in a, and it's in a it's in a room and I know we're in a virtual setting now with COVID, but this can happen virtually as well. Um, the, the interesting thing about it is um, this idea of how do you help salespeople have the conversations that they need to have, right? That's really the design point here. Uh, and, and part of the environment that's created is, well, what needs to be organized in the, in the salesperson's mind you know, to have those conversations. And then how do we manage this, this idea of working together? These are activities, actions, and skills really built on the idea of group synthesis, of bringing together shared perspective as a, as a way to create momentum, but really to the focus and the use of people's brains, if you will, right? Everybody's personal computer between their ears. What, what do we want them to, to, to work on? It's the idea of how do you synthesize across these things? Let's understand who salespeople need to talk to, what altitude level. Let's wrestle mm-hmm. with the concept of how do we get to a simple value proposition? And let's get to the concept of who the wallet owners really are and what the impact statements might be for those specific wallet owners. And this is much more specific than the idea of a persona or the idea of a buyer journey. Those things are so generic that salespeople find them not, you know, not useful at all. So the idea of uh, how do you have a conversation with the specific roles that have a specific remit to, to achieve a specific outcome when they're faced with specific challenges, right? And how do you help salespeople navigate those? That's the, the synthesis that's happening at a group level. So the, the idea of the group coming together is to not say, okay, you know, this is the, 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 uh, the flip side of where I've seen these types of environments, you know, there's two patterns. Okay, we're getting 30 people together to train them all on the answers to all this stuff. That's not what's happening here. The second one is we're getting everybody together to delegate the work and turn them all loose to go build a bunch of random stuff from a project management perspective. That's where I've also seen 30 group, 30 people come together. So the 30 people pattern of let's train everybody and the 30 people pattern of let's delegate the work and everybody go work on it. That is so the opposite of this idea of let's get 30 people and, and use your brain power to help salespeople have a conversation that uh, synthesizes this against the context of a COVID environment and the environment of of COVID, plus the fact that we're now selling a platform, for example, and nobody knows what a platform is. Um, These these are really specific challenges that orchestration needs to attack and address and solve. And, And Brian, not just what a platform is, but what the outcome of using this platform rather than somebody else's platform (laughs) could be and what value that can deliver and how they would measure it and how we would show that value and who would be involved in uh, embedding it and making sure that the change process and embedding it plays well too. Because, yeah, we talk about this room as if it's a physical room, it's a virtual room, it's a a coming together, a meeting of minds, the synthesis of, of brilliant ideas, but 
still we have to keep the client advocate there, like just keep going on about, yeah, but what is the outcome we can achieve by bringing these sets of suite of products together versus that suite of products and services together? And can we reduce cost of sale and drive more margin? Oh, and also drive an outcome, you know. It's, it's, and make it fun too. And somebody starts talking and be like, hey, you know, I think that's, I think you've got the productitis bug. That's all productitis related, right? Right. Um, because there is so much um, internal inertia and muscle memory around our products that, you know, having an environment where people can police each other on that and saying, you know what, I don't think the customer is going to care about release, you know, 5.7.1. I really don't. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's a great point. And, and, and also, you know, Doug, I, I, what comes to mind here is there's this idea that we keep uh, that, that Imogen just brought up, which is, you know, what is value in the first place? And, and oftentimes that's not discussed. It's just a given or it's assumed what value is. And then the second thing is what is valuable? So what is value and what is valuable? And the idea of what is valuable is what's valuable for whom? In this case, mm-hmm. what's valuable for customers in a customer conversation, not what's valuable for product or not what's valuable for training. Right? Yeah, so- I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard um uh, the value in this is we really need to get our all of our customers off this older platform to this newer one because the new architecture just gives us so much future capability or you know ability to sell them more stuff. Well, that's a selfish objective. That's not something the customer cares about. If mm-hmm. you want to really tell the value story, you tell the value story in terms of customer in the future, you'll want to be able to do this, this, and this by doing these things now you begin to set yourself up to be able to do so. Not just that I updated to the latest version of something. And unfortunately we, we are so driven back to the product. This is that, uh, that thing that uh, I, I can't remember exactly where it was discussed. Uh, Maybe it was on a LinkedIn post that, uh, that Scott posted. It said something to the effect of, Markets don't buy products. So go to market strategy is about products and go to customer strategy is about uh, problems, I guess is the way I described it. But mm-hmm. I, 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 I've thought about it since then. I said, go to market strategy is about envisioning something. So go to customer is about envisioning something, not, uh, not about go to market because markets don't buy products. Customers do. So good. I am, I've done a really nice exercise with my last team where we sat down and said, so, okay, okay, so sell sales enablement to our CEO and our COO, now sell it to the head of sales, now sell it to the to a head of marketing department, now sell it to a salesperson and an IT person. And they have to think about the fact that actually our COO, particularly in the PE-backed environment that we were in, mainly had to stay focused on EBITDA. So therefore we had to couch every conversation within uh, an EBITDA ratio uh, impact and then you chunk it down and chunk it down and you get to revenue and margin and cost of sale ex- and exposure and accountability etc and adoption and so on but it's a really interesting exercise for sales enablement people to do I think to actually think about how would you talk about yourself one thing that you know deeply and believe in deeply and how do you position that for people so you know if there was a practical outcome of what could you do before you even walk into a virtual room to think about the output to help sellers just do it just have a go yeah Yeah. that's such a good exercise too i mean uh, think about this any any software company somebody uh selling software or hardware for that matter 
go sell it to your own internal IT department and see, see how it goes. Or, or the CFO who has to invest mm-hmm. in it, ask them what they think about it. That's such a compelling exercise because you can get that done. Now you started answering a lot of questions. Uh, that, yeah. that when you start getting in front of a customer, you go, oh yeah, I know what they really care about. So Yeah, and do you know what? We used to get some of the people at Forrester just phone up the heads of departments to try and sell stuff as part of their onboarding. And, you know, the key thing for me was to say to them, look, you've got me, this is fantastic, but I genuinely have to go and have a a meeting about tech investment, a meeting about um, a new sales methodology investment, and, you know, and about four other things that were not in direct competition with what they were selling me, research, insight, et cetera, but were all on my sort of headspace agenda for that week about where do I put my budget, what's going to have the most impact. So, yeah, doing it internally is a really safe way to try out things and, and see just what it means. Yeah, absolutely. And I like this idea of, of uh, trying to uh, communicate the value, communicate what is valuable. And then also these techniques that you guys are sharing with regard to how do you get really, you know, 30 really smart people or 20 smart people who all have their individual perspective uh, working together. Uh, I used to think it was as simple as saying, well, let's just focus on the customer. Um, but that's really um, was selling, selling the whole challenge short. It's, it's, <laughs> it, uh, everybody already believes they're focused on the customer and everybody is passionate about their impact to the customer. Um, and, and so the idea of, Hey, you know, it really, we really need to work together. Everybody says, well, you know, no kidding. Uh, oh, hey, we really need to focus on the customer. Yeah, well, no kidding. I already do that. Hey, we really need to focus on value. Yep, no kidding. I already do that. Hey, we need to focus on what's valuable. Yep, no kidding. I already do that. I already do that. I already do that. Well, what about everybody else? Nope, they're doing it all wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so I, uh, that's that's the phenomenon here and that's the challenge. And you can't go in with a heavy-handed uh, approach to say, look, you're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm enablement. I'm here to help. I've got all the answers. I have a better way. It's, it's like this idea of you have to help people experience the outcome together so that they can come up with uh, their own learnings, internalize those learnings and act on them, which means you have to create the environment. You have to create an experience where they can wrestle with these things together. And you facilitate that almost as a, um, either a, a, a facilitator of the experience uh, pursuing the outcome, or you're uh, uh, along uh, to uh, really pr- create the environment for that to happen. But at some point, um, people will need to wrestle with the fact that, um, and, and, I've, and I've used these before, one, what they thought they knew, um, you know, it ain't just ain't so. So like what Scott talked about with the Mark Twain quote, it, it ain't what we know that's going to get us in trouble. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. That's the Mark Twain quote that statement is is why orchestration uh is really valuable because there are so many people that have built so much of their career on doing so much in their silo that they that hard wiring of that silo uh really has to be softened and work you know unleashed in a new way the skills are going to be valuable the brain power of the people is hyper valuable the idea of perspective is hyper valuable it just has to be used in a bit of a different way. And that, that way is, you know, among and working together. And that means you have to be able to articulate it. To Imogen's point, you have to be able to communicate. Um, to Doug's point, you're going to have to be able to be a strong leader and say, I disagree with what you're saying. Here's why. And these types of skills are, are not easy to come by in today's um, really you know, business environment 
because it's been trained out of so many people to not um, to not debate, to um, not share perspective, to to isolate, um, to focus on what they can control, for example, um, to get their own results done. These are the these are the things that um, orchestration seeks to address in the gap between uh, strategy and execution. At the same time, bringing strategy and execution together, it's both and strategy and execution together to be successful. So on uh, behalf of Scott, and I want to thank Doug and Imogen for joining the podcast today. Super valuable insights. I love the stories. I love the examples. I feel like today we, we, we breathed some life into the challenges of, of orchestration and what it means to be an orchestrator. And we've given our audience some attributes of what to think about, and what to do, as we looked at just really facilitating one meeting of many uh, here to an outcome. So thank you so much, Doug and Imogen, for your time, as always. And uh, Insider Nation, thank you for all your feedback. Keep it coming. Check out the uh, latest uh, podcast at InsideSE.com. Also, check out OrchestrateSales.com if you want a sneak peek at what's coming. All right, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.